0: Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And open up to uh, page, I think it's page 7. If you didn't know, in the very back of the book, there is a QR code that if you missed any of the teachings, you can just get your little phone out, put your camera on it and it'll take you to the website where those teachings will be at okay recap quickly from uh last week we went through the introduction Uh, in the introduction i mentioned four reasons why you and i need to grow in our ability to handle conflict does anyone recall one of the four it's off the top of your head anyone the first one Was that the stats confirm it right we read through some statistics on um, our ability to handle conflict and it doesn't show that it's uh, very great Uh, the second reason was our relationships uh, confirm it we're all we all have that one dis one or two or three or many dysfunctional relationships Uh, the third reason was that the bible commands it right the word of god says it god Calls us to do it. And the fourth reason was that the pending local, global, national crisis calls for it. That I believe if a church is unable to walk through conflict today, here and now, I don't know if there's much hope in the future. So tonight we're going to hit chapter 2, and at the end of this teaching, um, we're going to have a little Q&A if you have any questions. Um, we want to leave room for that for you guys. All right, chapter two, facing your brother or sister. Everyone say yay. Yay. You guys like my prop? You know what? This is what it should look like. Facing your brother or sister. A sit-down conversation. Maybe you put a... I'm missing my flowers in my coffee mug and all the cute stuff, but nonetheless... You guys can add that, but that's what it should look like. Just a little prop for you guys. But when you think about, I want you to think about this. Think about conflict in your home when you were growing up. What was it like? (laughs) Say a couple words, tell me. What was it like out loud? Loud, terrible, a battlefield. battlefield. (laughs) Yeah, I remember one time my parents were, were arguing this is when they were still married, and uh, my brother and cousin were there, and they were arguing in the bedroom, and I could hear them, and I, li- and I was probably like eight years old, and I didn't know what to do, so I literally called 911. <laughs> but I, I, I called 911, then I, and I hung up right away. I didn't really know they would, like, track the call and show up. And uh, I got in trouble for that, but it was like World War II up in there, right? We all have our experiences. Uh, As far as conflict in our family, but do you know in the family of God, the way we handle conflict is a lot different? When you think about conflict in the body of Christ, it should not resemble the conflict you were raised in. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be like, man, they're so, so. No, no, it should be drastically different drastically different. Conflict in the body of Christ, it's a family affair. We are called the household of God. God has a house, and we are the tenders of that house. We're the servants of that house, and he expects us to handle conflict a certain way, right? He's the father. We have our elder brother, Jesus, who steps in when he needs to, to handle any younger brother or sister So if you read, let's read the first paragraph here. All conflict within the body of Christ is a family matter. This doesn't mean that everyone needs to get directly involved in the situation. I know some of you may like to do that. Okay? But it doesn't mean that if the conflict is, but it does mean that if the conflict is left unresolved, many in the family could feel the effects, which leads to a divided family. Alright, it's very important for us to understand conflict in the body of Christ should not look like conflict you went through at home. It should be different. One important truth is that God, our Father, who's the father of this family, he shows no partiality. Meaning, when conflict arises, he doesn't always just choose your side because you're his favorite. I know you think that, and I know I think that as well. But he and Jesus, they don't show partiality. They're not picking and choosing certain denominations, certain people groups. No, they are standing where truth is. They're standing where love is. And we have to agree with that. We have to believe it, and that's what they do. Let's read these Scriptures here. For there is no partiality with God. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. And we know this one. If you bring your gift to the altar, and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Let me switch over. Check, check. Check, check. Okay, we'll go with the handheld. Jesus and the Father are, very, are absolutely invested and watchful over us and how we handle conflict. Do you believe that? They have a personal interest. It is a big, big deal to them. Go to page three, uh, page eight, next page with me. So in Matthew 18, this is going to be our main text for tonight. In Matthew 18, Jesus gives a little suggestion or a small opinion. No, no, He gives a command on how we should handle conflict. If you wanna open up your Bible to Matthew 18, it is also here on page eight. Matthew 18, we're gonna read this, verses 15 through 17. but if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. We're going to hit, dive into that just a little bit more in a moment. But let me hit some preliminaries. When you have a conflict coming with a brother or sister, they have sinned against you. I just got a couple of thoughts for you to ponder and think about before you actually engage them um, in a conversation. The first one is make sure it was something sinful. Okay, and not something that just kind of rubbed you wrong. For example, I don't like your personality. Okay, that's not sinful. For me, being introverted, sometimes extroverted people are just a little too much for me. They're kind of loud and all that stuff. Okay, that's not sinful. Make sure it's something sinful. And it's just not your heart feeling emotional or you just had a rough day and someone poked you and it wasn't anything that bad. Number two, consider overlooking the offense. Right? The Bible says it's to a man's glory to overlook the offense. Now, some of you, instead of overlooking it, you just avoid it. And the difference is when you are avoiding something, your heart is not right with that person still. When you've actually overlooked the sin, you actually still have fresh love and grace and mercy for them. And when they offend you again in the future, you don't pull that card back out because you let it go. But if you said you overlooked it and then something happens again in the future and then you pull that out, plus the other one and all the other ones, you never overlooked it. You were just avoiding it. And now you kind of got a mess on your hands because you've been keeping tally. Okay, so consider overlooking that. That may take some time, too, for you to overlook something. Number three. Diffuse your anger and believe the best, right? James chapter 1 says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's extremely important, even before you get to conflict, to find a place of peace. Because the more angry you get, the more you're going to want to control them and control the whole situation. That's not good, all right? Diffuse your anger. Believe the best about the person. Go ahead and write this for number seven because it's kind of connected to number three. Add number seven. This is part of believing the best about someone. Don't ascribe motives. Okay, someone hurt you. Don't think, oh, my gosh, they've. Oh, I knew they always hated me. I knew it, and this just proves they hated me since the beginning. Or I, they did it on purpose. There's, there's no way they did not know. they absolutely, 100% did it on purpose. Can I tell you, don't do that. There's something about when there is conflict. There's, with conflict comes a sense of spiritual warfare, and it's in your mind, where you're going to think all of these scenarios and you're gonna make up some stuff. You're gonna go down rabbit trails. Okay, that doesn't help in conflict. So do your best to not ascribe motives. Instead, when the conflict comes and you're sitting down with them, ask them their motives. Let them define it. Number four, seek counsel from leadership or a reputable person. Okay, someone said, whenever you're in a a struggle, instead of going this way, go this way. Go up to leadership or someone who you know knows how to handle conflict. Okay, don't go to Miss Chatty Kathy in the church, whom you know is just gonna tell everyone the business or who's just simply gonna choose your side because you're always right to them. You need someone who will tell you the truth. You'll need someone to help settle you to get clarity. Not stir you up and provoke you and join your team and, oh, you're so right, that person, and don't do that. (laughs) Seek counsel from leadership. Number five, this is huge. I I learned this very early on. Keep in mind that you may not know the story. Proverbs 18, 13, I want to read it. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I remember early on in ministry, someone would come in and tell me their side of the story. And I'm like, oh, man, you're so right. Why would they do that? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, like, we need to talk to them. And we'd go end up talking to them, and they would have a totally different story. And I was like, Oh, well, hey, you didn't tell me that you just cussed at them, and that's why they responded that. You didn't tell me what you did wrong. You told me what they did wrong. <laughs> it's a big detail to miss out. So now when, if you come to me and tell me what they did wrong, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to hear you out. And before I make any judgments, I'm going to wait to hear their side of the story. Because usually, for some odd reason, we miss exposing ourselves. We just kind of want to expose them. I had to learn that the hard way. So make sure you give some room to hear the whole story. And number six, pray and meditate on the fruit of the Spirit. We have to learn and how to marry conflict with the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Because growing up, it was just conflict. That was it. But in the church, there's conflict in the context of walking in the fruit of the Spirit, you can still love them, you have patience, there's gentleness, there's kindness, there's self-control. You don't have to forsake the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about it in chapter 1. Okay, You will never have permission from God just to walk in the flesh and not walk in the Spirit, just because you're going through a hard time with someone. God will never give you permission to do that. Just do what you want and just... Yell, scream, and just go crazy. Okay, so those are just some of the preliminaries before we even get into the conflict. <clears throat> okay, so well, let's, let's look through these verses, though. Proper protocol for Matthew 18. I know we all know this, but honestly, it's quite shocking how few, very few people do this. And usually when someone does this and I hear about it, I do my best to commend them, celebrate them, honor them, and say, hey, praise God. I'm so excited. If someone comes to me and I'll send, i say, hey, thank you for coming to me. I'm so grateful you actually came to me to tell me what I did wrong. I do my best to do that because as simple as this passage is, and we've read it a thousand times, it's hard to find someone who actually does it. And Jesus, he makes it very plain. Okay, verse 15, let's read it together. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Point number one, go to them alone. Is that what the the text says? Does it say go to everyone else except them? No, it says go to them. Does it say blast about it and talk about it on social media? No, he says, go to them alone. One here, one there. I get it. It's going to be awkward. It's not going to feel all good inside. You're probably going to be nervous. You're going to have some fears, some insecurities. I still do. That's okay. That's okay. But Jesus tells us very plainly, if your brother sins against you, go. So if you come to me and say, hey, so-and-so sinned against me, I'm just going to say one word. Go. I'll I'll hear you out for a moment. Go. you got a command from the Lord Jesus. Go. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Number two, tell them their fault directly and gently. Okay, this is about marrying together conflict and the fruit of the Spirit. You can be direct. In fact, you need to be direct. You can be direct and you can be gentle about it. It's both and. You don't got to pick one. Be direct, be gentle. You know who does that very well with you and I? The Lord. Is he not direct? I mean, he just tells us how it is. But also, do you sense and and you sense and feel his gentleness that he's not blowing up. He's not flipping a lid on you. He's just telling you gently. I love that. Number three. So, if they repent, forgive them and be reconciled. If they repent, you must forgive them and be reconciled to them. Question, though, what does it mean to be reconciled? What is the fruit of true reconciliation? Right? Because sometimes we just say, oh, I forgive you. And then the relationship is totally different. I would say this, the fruit of true reconciliation, it looks like your relationship with God. If you begin to describe to me what your relationship with God is like, hopefully you would say things like there's love, there's grace, there's peace. There's vulnerability, there's truth, right? You'd begin to describe some of those things. If you've been truly reconciled with a brother or sister, some of those very same qualities that's in your relationship with God will be in your relationship with your brother or sister. Right? Because we can't keep saying we love God and then we, First John talks about that. That's not Okay. True reconciliation with a brother or sister looks like good fruit still being produced between you and them. It may take some time for that to get going and growing, but there should be the fruit of the Spirit in that relationship. Okay, verse 16, he goes on to say, But if he will not hear... Take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Okay, so you've done the first part, right? You've gone to them alone, you've told them their fault directly, clearly, gently. They did not repent. Right? And if they don't repent, it's probably going to be an awkward ending to the conversation. You're probably going to need to communicate. We need to get someone else involved to help bring reconciliation. So, you schedule another meeting, and you bring along one or two. This is what he's saying. If they don't repent in an initial meeting, this is number four. Schedule another meeting. This is where... Okay, very few actually do this whole verse. And then you go to step two where you actually have to have a second meeting. Even fewer do the second meeting because by then you're just thinking, I'm just giving up. They're not going to change. I'm done with it. I gotta, I'm, I'm moving on. Okay. Okay, we talked about this, right? pre-Christ in your household, the way you were raised, that's how you would do it. Okay. All right, post-Christ, now you're in the family of God, the kingdom of God, and this is how he handles conflict. You have to go again, a second meeting, which I know you're so thrilled about. I am too. But this is how God has commanded us to handle conflict. You, would you guys agree? Is that, is that what the text says? If he doesn't hear you, go back to them with one or two witnesses. I mentioned in there, let these two people, one or two people, be neutral Okay, not your favorites, not your best friend who always says you're right. Don't bring them to the meeting. Hopefully it's someone who's neutral and someone who has a good reputation. That's good. Guys, that's huge. Don't just pick some random person to come to a meeting just to help you out because you feel safe with them. No, you need someone who has a solid reputation who will help bring true reconciliation. It's okay if they're not necessarily a leader. That's okay. But hopefully as someone where if a leader found out, they would say, oh yeah, that was a good person to bring. I trust that person. You can't just bring your favorites. If I'm working out a conflict with Joe and I tell Joe, hey Joe, I'm gonna bring Barry to this meeting. And Joe says, I'm not really comfortable with that. Guess what? I shouldn't bring Barry to the meeting. Okay, hey, Joe, what about Luke? No, okay, no Luke, okay. We got Jaden. What about Jaden, Joe? You like Jaden? Okay, all right. All right. But communicate, right? But that's like, I know that's going to be awkward because usually we have, when we have conflict with someone, like we don't talk at all. Like the only time we talk is when we have to. But, like, something about marrying together conflict and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay. Now, if they repent in that meeting, guess what? Forgive them. Be reconciled. But Matthew 15, he keeps going. Verse 17. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So number five, if they still haven't repented, bring in the highest level of church leadership with all involved parties in order to seek reconciliation. Does that make sense? So if you you went one-on-one, it didn't work. You bring one or two neutral, reputable witnesses with you. That didn't work. Now you're going to go to church leadership, and you're going to have a meeting, hopefully with everyone. Here's the thing, guys. This right here, this kind of stuff is going to take probably a couple months to work out. This isn't going to be in one week you just knock it all out in one day. You're going to have to have some resolve in your spirit. You're going to have to have some spiritual maturity in your walk with God to stick this out. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to give up and do all of that stuff. But I would ask you, do you care about the relationship? Do you care about being reconciled to your brother or sister? You may not, but you know there's two, There's a couple people who do. The father. The father and our elder brother. So you bring church leadership in there. This passage may seem cruel and mean, but really this, this, last, this is a, the last attempt to bring somebody to their senses. Think about it. If you've had to meet with someone going on the third time and they still haven't repented, there's a big issue in their life. They're not willing to repent. I mean, honestly, at that point, you should be less concerned about your hurt and thinking more about, man, they don't see. Man, if they hurt, I wonder who else they've hurt. Like, gosh, even the elders are in this meeting, and they're not even repenting. Oh, my gosh. That is scary. Like, not trying to gang up on the guy but it's like 8 on 1 and we're just we're gently clearly laying out the case like brother that's a sin you need to repent hey the bible says this you need to repent and he's like no she's like no that's scary something is is wrong something's off and so Jesus tells us at that point, if they're unwilling to see their sin, if they're unwilling to call sin sin, even before church leaders, Jesus says, Tell it to the church, expel them. Treat them like a heathen or tax collector. In other words, treat them like a non believer. They no longer are a, body, are a part of the body of Christ. Now, this phrase, tell it to the church, okay, it doesn't mean. We're just going to, hey, I'll tell you Sunday, guys, we're going to tell everybody. Just, you tell, you tell them, and, and et cetera, where it becomes, you know, Christianity's gossip corner. No, it means that the elders, the leadership of the church may have to issue a public statement. Not getting into all of the details and all of the nitty, nitty-gritty stuff, but there comes a time where the leadership team has to publicly say something to the church. If I'm being honest with you, that's not my favorite because I get concerned about the maturity of the body of Christ. Like if we were to do that here, it would just, I mean, would it would spread like wildfire? And every, it's just the talk of the town. Everyone's talking about the person, but no one's praying for them. No one's crying. No one's weeping like, man, what happened? I thought they loved the Lord. Like, Or would we all just be talking about like, man, were you at service yesterday? Oh, man, that was good. That was good. Boy, those elders really, wow, that was cool. I wonder what our response would be like. I mean, I think about if we were to to have to do that, like, I would want to cut off the live stream. Because it's not something for the whole world just to publish. This is not like an exciting thing. Like, this isn't like Jerry Springer. Everybody's, oh, this is crazy. This is not that. Like doing something like this should be very, very difficult. You should be grieved. You should be heavy. You shouldn't be just like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to kick him out. It would take a corporate maturity to be able to walk through something like this. What makes this somewhat challenging, though, is that usually when you get to the third meeting, and you have to tell the person they can't come to the church anymore. Usually they just simply move town. They leave. So it's like, okay, well they just moved to California, like do we do we publicly say something? We're not trying to draw attention to something that's really difficult, but nonetheless, the leadership team has to pray. We have to communicate to the church that doesn't mean every single person in the church has to know, but it means that a measure, at a certain measure, it's been established. This is not okay. As a leadership team, we're taking action. Paul did it in First Corinthians five and First Timothy one. It's difficult. Okay, go to page nine. So, incorrect ways to follow Matthew 18. Right? Brother has sinned against you. First thing, communicating only by text and email. Never face-to-face. Don't do that. Now, if the person moved away and lives in Africa or... Whatever, okay, sure, you got to settle for whatever works best. But if they live within, if they live nearby, we'll put it that way, you need to try to work this out face-to-face. Because we all know when you get an email, a, a text message, when you're reading it, you're putting in there your view of how they're saying it, of the feeling of it. Like, they could be saying it in their heart with the most gentle, humble attitude, but you read it and you're like, man, they're throwing knives at me. They're daggers in this thing. When you're dealing with conflict, try to do it face to face, right? This is our little little prop here. Okay, keep this in your mind. Number two, another incorrect way, letting the flesh take control. talked about the chart back on pages 3 and 4 talking about walking in the spirit the fruit of the spirit versus in the flesh number 3 this happened this happens often as well backing out of the meeting or changing churches before or during conflict it's just so awkward guys kind of that. <laughs> that's so awkward It's awkward. People just leave and they're upset. And then you see them at Target and you're like, hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> love you. <laughs> right? It like, hey, as a leadership team here, we're okay if you feel like you need to leave Heart of the Father. It really is okay. But can we just talk about it? If you have an issue with one of us, oh, I would love it. I would, Guys, I would celebrate you. There's been a couple people who have come to me lately where I've done something and they've told me, and like, I, I love it. Because I understand that people are vulnerable to leadership. People are intimidated. They're naturally afraid of leadership. I wish that wasn't so, but that's typically the case. But backing out of meetings, changing churches, or just like, hey, man, I've just been busy. Okay, brother, we're all busy. You're busy, I'm busy, my kids are busy. (laughs) Number four, it's not a good way. If someone repents, you've been reconciled to them, treating them like a heathen or tax collector, looking down upon them, avoiding them, doing all of those things, guys, that's not okay. That tells me the problem hasn't been resolved on someone's side. It may not be back to perfect and back to lovey-dovey right away. It may take some time, but you should treat them as a brother or sister in the Lord, right? You don't do it how you did it when you were raised in your own household growing up, right? We're in the family of God. We do things a little bit differently. Number five, another incorrect way to follow Matthew 18 is sharing vulnerable, private information with those who are not associated with the situation. Just freely volunteering stuff. And the person you're talking to, they're not involved and they don't plan on getting involved. They're just, it's just another gossip corner. We're just slandering someone. We're speaking down upon them. So now when that person goes to church and they see the person we're offended with, uh, they can't really be friends with them. And I wrote another one down, number six. You can write this down in there. Another incorrect way to follow Matthew 18, here we go, is to tattletale to the leadership team and expect them to do all the work. Tattletaling to the elders what someone did to you and then expecting the elders to do all the work. If you come to me and say, hey, Joe offended me. He did it again. I would tell you, okay, sorry to hear that. I, I get it, yep, he's a deacon at the church. It's not okay. Go. Go to him. I'm not going to pull Joe into a meeting, and you're, not, you're excluded. Hey, Joe, man, someone's going to tell me what you did. What's going on? Like, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because you, you're supposed to do that. We can go back and read Matthew 18. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. All I'm going to do is point to Matthew 18. Just reset the whole thing. Matthew 18, you go to him one on one. Right. You don't need my authority to back you up. Right. Are you you a Christian? You got the authority of Christ. Right. Holy Spirit living in you. Anointing, You've been empowered, all that stuff. I can give you helpful tips on what to say, how to say it, stuff like that, but you have to go to them. Coming and tattletelling on leadership and expecting us to do all this stuff, it's not really going to work that way, unless it's a severe sin. Okay, next section. So one of the biggest challenges to Matthew 18... makes it very difficult to navigate, is a person's ability or inability to properly give correction and for the other party to receive correction. So, someone sins against you, you're probably not going to communicate it 100% perfectly all the time. And the person you're correcting, they're probably not going to receive it. Clearly and perfectly all the time. There's going to, it's gonna be kind of messy. It's gonna be a little confusing at times. It's gonna be, be messy. But here's the thing Are you trying your best to clearly communicate what the correction is and what needs to happen on one end? And on the other end, are you able to receive correction? That's huge. So, here's a couple tips when giving correction to someone. Number one. Number two, have written notes, have clear examples. Notes, examples are extremely, extremely helpful. Number three and four. This is basically Ephesians 4, 15, speaking the truth in love. Communicate clearly and directly as possible when you are correcting someone. All right. There's nothing worse when you're correcting someone and like you're like, you won't say it directly, but you'll just kind of like go around it and you're kind of vague and you kind of touch it a little bit and then you go back around and and it's like, okay, well, was that correction or what was that? Right, you got to be clear. You got to have some courage and you just got to say it with clarity. Right, that's called the truth, speaking the truth. Right, number four, you do it with gentleness, right? That's the love, speaking the truth in love. Number five, practice the sandwich method. My wife hates this one. <clears throat> She's like, just tell me. Just tell me what I did. Don't, don't sandwich me. You guys know what the sandwich method is, right? Where are you? All right, Joe. I'm going to correct Joe here, but I'll say, Joe, man, I love you, man. I feel like you are growing in the Lord. There's been so much growth in you. I love you so much but I have this against you, right? I, but here's the thing. If I genuinely love him, it should be easy for me to say some positive things about him, right? Jesus does this to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. He genuinely loves and cares for them. So he says, hey, man. <laughs> right? This is, this is called marrying together conflict and the fruit of the spirit. I'm going to show some fruit of the spirit. I love you. I care about you. You're my guy. But also, you do this or you did that. You share it with him. And then to close the sandwich, you let him know, like, I love you, man. I really do. Like, I'll do anything for you. That's good. Do the sandwich. Maybe not my wife. She's just like, just tell me. (laughs) And I do tell her, and other people tell her as well. Number six, at the end of the conversation, ask them how they're feeling, okay? I've had to learn this the hard way, too. I've been in some meetings where we had to bring some correction to someone, and then you come to find out at the end of the meeting, like, they were not okay at all. But in the meeting, it was, it was like you're smiling, it seems good, and I just assumed, like, oh, they're good. Like, that oh, was great. They received it. Amen. And then you find out, No. It was horrible. It was the worst ever. And I'm just like, dang. Like, I thought I had some, like, emotional intelligence here. I thought I could, like, read you a little bit. But usually I try to, hey, so, so how, are you, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? Just ask them that. That's helpful. Number seven, after some time has passed, take initiative in the relationship, right? When you correct someone, they're, they're probably not going to take a lot of initiative with you because they're thinking, oh, man, I wonder if they're still upset with me. Uh. So you reach out. You check on them. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, we, I know we had that conversation last week. You, what's going on? Text them. Pray for them. Get lunch with them. Take initiative with them. And number eight, practice patience. Give people time to make the behavioral adjust, adjustments, right? We can't expect them to just change right away. It may take some time with certain things. Some changes need to be right away. Some changes take time. But praise God, God sent you there to correct them and to walk with them through it. Now, if you're receiving the correction, resist the urge to fall into those escape and uh, the, the escape or the attack responses, okay? Back on page five. Talked about how someone tries to correct us and we just want to run away. Or if we, we know correction is coming, we run away. We're avoiding it. We're hiding it. We're like, oh, no, 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 no. We do that. Or we just get angry at them. We tell them they're wrong. I'll, I, what are you talking about? We get angry. We're offended. Okay, guys, that's the fruit of the flesh. That's not the fruit of the spirit. That is the flesh. You're going to have to resist the urge when someone comes to correct you. Number two, ask, this is huge, ask questions to make sure you fully understand what they're saying. Because sometimes when someone corrects you, they may not fully communicate it clearly. So you should ask them, wait, you, I, I didn't get that part. Could you say that? What does that mean? What do you mean by this? What do you mean by that? Make sure you, if you don't understand in your mind, you need to say something. Number three, I've learned this one in marriage. Don't one-up the person or change the topic. You know what one-up means? You come to me and you say, Brandon, man, you did this one thing and it really offended me. And then I say, well, you know, brother, you did this one thing several weeks ago and it really hurt me too. Well, if you hurt me several weeks ago, why didn't I go to you several weeks ago? Oh, wait, I told, I told myself I was overlooking it, but I really wasn't. And so now when you come to me, I got this whole list back here as well. And you just, you muddied up the whole conversation. So Allison and I, we have this rule. If she calls out something in me, I don't have the, the license just to call out something in her just to get even. Okay, that's called immaturity. That's what children do. If someone calls something out on you, just receive it. <laughs> let, it let it hit. Let it hurt. That's okay. Don't try to one-up them with, oh, well, who do you think you are? I, I know your stuff, too. Okay, guys, that's, just, that's immaturity, all right? That's the flesh. Number four. I did this a couple weeks ago. Someone was telling me something. I said, hey, so you're telling me this. You're telling me that you think that, and then I did, I'll tell them what I hear them saying to me. Right? Because we all have our filter. We're attaching emotions. We're attaching thoughts. We're attaching experiences to what they're saying to us. So it's always good for you to communicate back to them what you hear them saying. Number five, this is huge, okay? When someone's correcting you, and I see this happen. You, go, you, you start talking about all of your intentions. My intention was this, my intention was that, and my intention was this, and it was that. And yet you never fully take responsibility for what you did. Right? Usually, usually, when you offend me or hurt me, most of the time your intentions are, are good. Right? Like You're not viciously trying to attack me and trying to get me. Most of the time your intentions are good. You just fell short. And I got hurt. Or maybe I'm easily offended. But... You can share your intentions when somebody say, hey, you know what? My intention was I was trying to do this. And the next thing you should say, but I take responsibility for what I did. You have to take responsibility when someone is correcting you. Which looks like number six, saying, I'm sorry. Can they say it with me? I'm sorry. That wasn't that painful, was it? I'm sorry. We have to be able to say that. If you hurt someone and they told you what you did was wrong, and you know it, I'm sorry. What's also helpful on the other end, Omar says, I'm sorry, Brandon. I should say, I forgive you. So let's say that. I forgive you you' you need to say it your words are powerful if you don't say it you risk you risk walking in unforgiveness because you never I just can't say i for, I'm still hurt by what he did I can't say it But when you say it, you're helping your emotions follow what you're saying, the truth. I forgive you. And after you said it to him, you may need to go home. I forgive him. I forgive him. I forgive him. But we need to do better at saying I'm sorry and I forgive you. There's power when we say that. Hold on to it. We'll do, go to here in a few. Okay, and then last one, number seven. Don't leave a meeting feeling confused or unsure about what's going on. Don't do that, guys. If you are unsure, if you're unsettled and you're just like, what what is even going on? Do not leave a meeting feeling uh, confused, unsettled. Don't do that. Make sure you ask questions, get clarity. That's on both sides okay, um, we're going to come back to the common questions there in just a moment. Um, I want to hit this, why, the why behind Matthew 18. Okay, we, we use this passage a lot in prayer and spiritual warfare where we say we, we're binding things, right? Matthew 18, verse 18, surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In heaven, we use this in prayer often. We're just like binding and loosening, like just doing all this crazy stuff, right? All right, we need a charismatic correction here. When you read the context of this passage, it's directly after you going to your brother or sister, right? You're confronting sin, you're calling out something that's not okay according to the word of God. What you're doing there is you're binding something and you're loosening something. Let's read this next paragraph. Confronting sin and helping people get free is the work of binding and loosing. We bind or restrict things like sin, works of darkness, unrighteousness, et cetera, by confronting it in people's lives. We loose or we set free people from things like sin, sickness, the hand of the devil, et cetera, by speaking the truth into people's lives, assuming that they receive it. When we practice this, we are helping to keep people's lives pure and the spiritual atmosphere of the church clean and healthy. Paul said, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of sin, if not confronted, will spread to the rest of the body and potentially attract demonic and worldly activity to the church. In other words, if we start praying right now, God, we call down the principality of adultery, sexual immorality over Lakeland in Jesus' name. Yet I'm, I, I'm not willing to confront anyone in the church about sexual morality, adultery. But I'll pray and, and cast, call down demons and principalities. That doesn't make sense. The way I have authority to even start confronting those things is if I confront it right here. You confront it here. You bind the work of the devil in here. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound. Whatever you loose, you loose righteousness, healing, freedom. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed. There is a divine connection to the natural and the supernatural. But what we do is we'll just, we'll pray it up here and call it down, but we'll never talk to anyone about it. And when you read these, this passage, Matthew 18, it's all one. All right, some of you now are troubled when it comes to spiritual warfare. Because now it means you actually got to start talking to people and confronting them. All right, there's a quote uh, by Leon Morris, a Bible scholar. He talks about, Binding and loosing. I'm not going to go through it. Okay, let's hit these questions though. And uh, I may, Dave and Barry may jump up here as well to answer some some questions, but I have some written down. How often should we practice Matthew 18, the go to your brother command? How often? As much as is required. If you read in Matthew 18, verse 21, right? Peter says, Jesus, how often do we forgive? And what's Jesus say? No, no, he said seven times, right? Just seven. No, no. 70 times seven. So we do Matthew 18 as often as we need to. Who's excited? Right? Who's ready to grow more into the image of Christ? As often as we need to. Okay, number two, is it okay to set boundaries in the relationship? Yes, absolutely. This helps keep someone accountable. Uh, number three, what if someone doesn't want to repent? Well, you follow the protocol, Matthew 18, all the way through. And hopefully, it will get dealt with. Okay, i got a couple more questions I wrote down here that are not, not in there. <clears throat> so what do I do if someone is sinning, not necessarily against me, but just in general? Right? Because Matthew 18 says if your brother sins against you. Okay, well, what if they're just like they're in sin, like they're watching porn or doing something you know is sinful? What, what do we do? Galatians 6.1. What's Galatians 6.1 say? This is what we do. If you notice someone's living in sin, Galatians 6.1 says, brethren, if a man is overtaken or if he's caught in any trespass, in any sin, you, uh uh-oh, you saw it, guess what? You get to go confront it. You can't say, hey, Elder, hey, uh, Brandon, so-and-so, I saw this in sin, you should go talk to him. No. You saw it, you go do it. No, that means you have to have to grow up. And also, too, like, I have a life. I just can't run around and just, like, trying to put out everyone's sin and talk about it. I, I ain't got time for all that. Okay? One second. If so, you who are spiritual, that word spiritual, think about whenever that word, the, the word spiritual is there, it's talking about you who are led by the spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. There's that word gentleness again. That's what you do when you notice someone's living in sin. You go to them and you talk to them. Another question. <clears throat> Um, Let me get Luke and Joe to come up here. So what do I do when someone tells me another person is offended with me, but that person is unwilling to come to me? Sit right here. Omar, come to Okay. This is where this happens often, and it gets confusing. So. (laughs) It's a gray shirt (laughs) party. Okay. Okay, so Luke says, "Hey, Joe, Omar's he's hurt, man. He's offended. Um, you did something. He's hurt. But hey, Joe, um, he's not. He don't want to talk to you about it, though. What does Joe do? Does Joe just?" Go to Omar and just deal with it? Or, but then Omar told Luke in confidence. Mm-hmm. Like what? You know what? Here's, what? here's what should happen. If Omar told Luke, said, Luke, Joe hurt me, et cetera, et cetera guess who just became the peacemaker? Luke. <laughs> My man, Luke. He just became the designated peacemaker. Are y'all tracking with me? If someone tells you, I'm hurt by so-and-so, I'm offended with so-and-so, if someone tells you that, you just became the peacemaker. Praise God we're going through this teaching because you're going to know how to do it. But look, Luke just became the peacemaker, so now he's going to change his position He's like, hey, Omar, you told me that thing that Joe did. You need to go talk to him. And Elmore's going to be like, no, 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 man, I don't want to. to." Well, brother, are you offended? And Elmore's like, yeah, yeah, I'm offended. Luke's going to say, hey, well, uh, Matthew 18, go. (laughs) So Omar has a couple of options. He can go and be reconciled to his brother. He can overlook the offense, or he could just be a bitter man, be offended, bittered, starts hating Joe. Now there's, there's no unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, dysfunctional family, and next thing you know, he wants to leave the church because of whatever. That, that's what we do. But we need more people to be like Luke. Will you commit yourself to being a Luke? The next time somebody comes to you and says, hey, man, so-and-so hurt me, Uh, this whole story. And instead of just like, oh, man, you're right, we should go get him. No, no. You've just been designated by God to be the peacemaker. So you shouldn't be so quick to run to gossip and to get into know everyone's business. Because when you do that, you're signing up to reconcile the whole thing. Do you agree or disagree? You guys said that reluctantly. (laughs) Like, oh, I agree. (laughs) So, some of you, this happens to leaders all the time. Hey, man, so-and-so did this to me. Okay, um, Matthew 18, you got to do it. And they don't want to do it. And then they expect me to do it. And then they're offended that I didn't do it. Like, I'm not hurt. I'm not offended. I'm not going to speak on your behalf. You're supposed to be spiritually mature. You do it. Thank you, guys. Let's be more like Luke. Luke's a great example. Okay. Questions. Okay, so if you're in Luke's position and the person refuses to go, what do you do? I would encourage you, get your Bible. Say, brother, sister, this is what the word says. And they have to come into obedience to the word of God. And you do your best. If you have to meet up with them a couple times, do that. But you have to urge them to to go to them. I would resist the urge in going to the person that they're offended with and telling them that. Hey, man, hey, Joe, man, he's hurt with you. I wouldn't do that because then it just it causes confusion. It causes, it causes more tension, more stress. It gets messy. Okay, so what do you do if you go to the person to try to meet up and they don't want to meet up? They feel like it's a gang up. And I'm saying that so that it's on the mic for the recording. Yeah, I mean, honestly, same answer. You have to talk with them and say, hey, guys, this is what the word says. We need to do this the Lord's way. Because what we start doing, we start making up all these other ways. There's only one way to do it. And at the end of the day, if they don't want to, then you just, you probably got to let it go. And hope and pray they don't get embittered. And then they, next thing you know, it's just, there's something, when there's bitterness in the heart, who knows where it's going to lead them? God have mercy. It's, it's not okay. But if you do your best to hold them to the word of God and how Jesus, the protocol, that, that's, that's probably the best option. And Dave and Barry, you guys jump up here whenever if you got something. Man, I hate to, I hate to do this, but Tim, I stand corrected. You're right. I don't like when you're right. That's good. Absolutely. I'm sorry I did this and that to you. Will you please forgive me? Excellent. So I expect you to apologize to me that way, Tim. <laughs> That's all. So uh, Tim's going to apologize that way every time. You guys be ready. Great example. Yes. So does the location matter where you meet with someone in conflict? I mean, for, the, for ladies, it probably does matter, right? It's got to be the nice, you know, it's got to be a good setup for most ladies. <laughs> For, but are you, are you Most it should be somewhere private. Yeah, pick a neutral location, somewhere where it's private, where no one can hear the conversation. Yeah, I would, I would go for that. Yeah, so if someone hurt you, wasn't this very sinful, you show them they're not really seeing it, and then they keep doing it to set boundaries. <clears throat> I would say, yeah, I, one thing about boundaries, though, it's really helpful when you communicate the boundaries and why you have boundaries some of us, we just set boundaries, and the person doesn't even know why, and then it just gets really awkward. But I think you telling them what they've done, and maybe they don't hear you the first time, right? They do it again, communicate to them, hey, you did this again. I'm going to have to set boundaries. Hopefully, they'll begin to see it. Um, if it gets to a point where it's too, it's too difficult for you, then, yeah, I think it would be okay to maybe get a reputable, neutral, a leadership person involved to help maybe that person see what they did that'd be good okay so if you have an issue with someone who goes to a different church how do you address it how do you get leadership involved i would say get someone from your leadership team involved and ask them to get someone from their leadership team involved that could kind of work work between cuz what if you don't know what if you both don't know anyone you know there's maybe there's no common person then i would go with your leadership team just one individual you trust they get an individual they trust that makes it fair, um, and then trust that the w- the leadership team has wisdom and discretion and discernment, all that stuff. But, yep. Yeah. Oh, that's a fun one. Um, so, if your parents are in conflict and you're in the middle of it, yeah. Oh, help, Lord. <laughs> Tim, that's it. <laughs> Dial nine one one. Hang up. man. Barry Dave, come up here. You guys got any thoughts on that? And say it on the, uh, so if you're, if you are, um, a child and your parents are having conflict and then, you know, say you go to Malia about Diane and then later on Diane goes to Malia about you and there's just a weird triangle.
1: Well, it's difficult, I think, for the child to be the mediator. Um, they could suggest that they get some counsel from somebody that they both respect. Maybe try to push them in the right direction, but ultimately, since they're under the authority of the parents, it makes it pretty awkward, I think, for the child to have authority because the parents resent that, the child telling them what to do and where they're wrong. Oh, you shut up, you're our kid. So um, there's there's difficult dynamics. I think for the child, um, whatever age they are, to Show genuine concern, that you love them both, and that you want them to get healthy and help. And so try to push them in a direction to get help. Follow scripture. You would encourage your parent to go. And then if they didn't, you would become a Luke. Try to be a peacemaker, but definitely get counsel. both of them could go to leadership of the church for counsel or other outside counseling services. You could go for that as well. Um, but it's um, as a child, it's very important that you stay neutral because many times one parent will try to get win the child over to their side. So I always would recommend that, you as a child to, when you're talking with them or whatever, when they're talking, to be objective and to ask questions which will provoke the spouse to think beyond just their perception. In other words, well, what if mom, mom, what if dad said that and he meant this over here, and you're taking it a different way. What, what if? Well, I know he didn't. Well, no, but what if? And you just plant that seed in hopes that she'll um, maybe think outside her box or her perspective.
0: Also, you can see Bree Pompiano for any other questions about that. But I'll say this. It was really confusing for me as a child when my parents would do that. It was confusing. So, parents, I would encourage you not to do that. It, it gets it's it confusing. So the difference between giving examples of what someone has done versus uh, keep a score card. keeping a scorecard. <clears throat> I think it comes to the heart, like your heart posture. Are you intentionally trying to keep a tally card? And you're looking to really get this person, or just in the context of relationship, you've noticed they've done this thing a couple times. And hopefully after the second time, Maybe third time you confront it. But I wouldn't let that list get past like three or four or five, six. I would try to address it sooner than later. Um, with your heart, like the first time they do it, you're th- you know what? It's okay. Like I'm going to assume the best. I, their motives are pure. The second time, maybe you address it then. So I think it just depends on how, so- how quickly you address it versus if you just let it go on and on kind of thing. Um, no, I, I don't think so. No, I share stuff with my spouse and it stays between us as long as it, um, okay, if a, if a man comes to me and shares some personal stuff, I don't share with her what a guy said to me. It's guy stuff. Um, I, will, I mean, I will. I don't have nothing to hide, but just, you know, it's the guy stuff. But yeah, most situations, um, yeah, I share with Allison and um, sometimes I kind of forget to share stuff with her. It's just, there's so much going on in our life, but yeah, I think it's okay to share with your spouse. Um, that should be a safe place to help. Okay, okay, last two. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, if they keep coming to you and they're not going to the person and they just think you're going to be some trash can of just their verbal vomiting on you, I would say, hey, you need to stop this. I'm not going to do this anymore. You need to go to them because um, and it's, just going to be, it's going to be awkward when you do it, but you need to do it as a peacemaker where you draw the line. You need to do something about this. You're not going to keep coming to me and just verbal vomiting and never do anything about it. So I would incur I would definitely draw a line because that might be the when you draw that line that might make them realize, oh, she's right. I need to go talk to so and so okay, last one yeah, so if someone if you if you're if you go to your brother, you told them what they did wrong and then they won't even go for a second meetup with others included, what do you do yeah i that's a tricky one because you you don't want to force people. You shouldn't force people to do something they don't want to do. You can try to keep them accountable, hold them to what the word says, um, things like that, but I don't know what you would do to get them to do something. Pops, come up here Come up here on the mic if you got.
1: I would just add to that, um, let them choose somebody to be the third party come along with you. No, I, I mean you gotta offer, you don't you can say no also. What I saying is they're saying no I'm not talking about it done. Okay. But that that that's a that's a different thing, but if if they won't do it because they won't do it with a certain people at all, then you say, "Well, you pick the person." And if they say, "No, I'm not going to do it."
0: Yeah, at that, at that point you got to be done. Yeah, we're not getting into forcing conversations, forcing meetings, you know, uh book that's one thing that's kind of bullying people, and we don't need to do that. We can, tr- we can pray for them, trust that the Lord, Lord, pr- we pray that you would help them. At that point, we may need to let it go. Yeah, I mean, I, right. But there has to be an element, too, of time and not forcing, not rushing the situation. Um, I don't think you would quickly, depending even on what the sin is, if it's like they just gossip one time. Um, If it's something more severe, if it's a more severe sin, um, then yeah, you maybe need to take a little bit of actions. But I would be careful forcing someone to do something that they don't want to do or see, and you just maybe need to let it go. Now, if this person, if other people start picking up on it, then okay, that means that person needs to go to them as well. And hopefully there's multiple brothers or sisters saying, hey, bro, I see this in you. What are you What are you doing? Hopefully that can get them to change. But we've got to remember, like, when we confront people, the goal is not for us to get them to change. The goal is for God to change them and just let it be. When we start trying to, like, I'm going to change you because I'm going to confront you, nope, you're not the Holy Spirit. You need to let God be God. Let them be under his care. Uh, you do the best that you can, and God will be pleased when you do the best that you can. And just let it, let it be. So. I don't know if that provides a lot of clarity, but it does get tricky um, but nonetheless i would I would rather you though like actually care like you're, you're saying. most people don't care, they don't want to confront, um, but we need more peacemakers in the body of Christ. We need more people willing to do the hard stuff. If you got any other questions, uh, just direct them right to Barry and uh, <laughs> but um <clears throat> let me pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that as spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians, I pray that you would put a conviction in us to follow Matthew 18 and to grow in maturity in this, Lord. Would you convince us the need for healthy, spirit-filled conflict in your church. God, I pray that you would raise up this community as an example to the city, as an example to other churches, as an example to the world around us, that we will work through conflict, being led by the Spirit and producing the good fruit of the Holy Spirit. I pray for courage, for strength in our hearts, and for those who have conflict right around the corner. Pray that you would release peace over them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, love you all. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.